0: sponsor FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This week's special, 10% off all foils. So go to facefacegames.com today and, and get them foils. On today's show, we got Elliot, Andy, Derek, John's busy. But we got Derek in the house, back from Mythic Championship, London. Kind of sad that uh, he, he sort of prophesied how his tournament was going to go, mo- not only weeks, probably months ago. <laughs> it, just, it was just bad. Um, I felt bad there. <laughs> like I, I, my heart was hurting with your early exits, um, early demise. But let's go straight to you. Um, how was... Let's go to before the tournament. How was testing with team face-to-face games?
1: Um, uh, I, maybe, maybe
0: I have a weird
2: expectation for how testing should go, and I think it, that has to do with the way I play Magic in general. But I found that, and this isn't a slight towards face-to-face at all. Um, it was just not, not very concentrated. Not that I've really been with a testing team that's ever really been concentrated. Um, I, I voiced this uh, concern before, and the majority, like, of the Morgan, Edgar, and Gabe said that it's partially because it's a modern pro tour. It's partially because it's a new draft format that we didn't actually get to play. And it's partially because of the, the open deck list things and uh, it being in London. So th- there were so many unique uh, circumstances about this MC specifically that made it very different than I guess what I expected and what they were used to doing. Um, so the actual testing process was a little bit more scattered than normal. As for just like hanging out and working with them, it was pretty sweet. They're They're like, all smart and good players. Like it's a, you have a group full of platinum and gold pros that are just like crushing the seed. So uh, I think I learned, learned a bit um, and definitely got to uh, communicate well with them and focus on my, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for connections. So that was certainly exciting, but uh, I think we fell short a little bit of the actual
1: um, concentrated testing process.
0: But you, you ultimately, you ended up with it Phoenix, and uh, our man John has compiled some of the data based on the performance of many archetypes in the tournament, and it seemed to be popular behind Tron, and it did well. It had an over 50% win, win rate, so um, did you feel confident with, with your deck I assume you played it Phoenix?
2: Yeah, uh, I felt confident with my deck choice. Um... I I didn't play a real game of constructed magic, I don't think. Um between the match loss and then I uh I got kind of unlucky the next two rounds to lose. Um so I, I don't know, the, the whole tournament was not
1: really uh a real showing of how, how I felt that um how I prepped or anything like it's hard
2: to explain without just me saying that I think I got unlucky, but I, I don't know. It was just
1: a bad tournament for me, and I, I would I would run it back with everything. Like, is it Phoenix? Whatever. So, yeah.
0: Well, what what would you have liked to do for for like let's say you're qualified for the next Mythic Championship in terms of testing? Was it the constructed that was a bit scattered, which is limited? Was it everywhere that wasn't organized for you? Um, definitely the limited thing, but I think
2: that was part of our, out of our control. I think that one of the biggest things we could work on for next time, if I was requalified was focus on matchups specifically. We had four people on the team who were playing blue white, who had different, uh, blue white deck lists which just like, shouldn't really happen. Right. You should all sort of come to a, a conclusion based on what deck list you're playing and why it's the best. I think there's an objective way to decide what decklist you should be playing. Um, I think Morgan and Egner knew they were going to be playing Amulet no matter what. Um, I think it's possible they should have had more practice against specific archetypes, um, or against specific, uh, like game States or turn sequences or circumstances and matchups. And I would have really liked to sort of stress test different cards and sideboards and, uh, like, we didn't test Tron, and we didn't just, like, say I multify with Tron every single game. Like, that wasn't a thing we did. And I think that would have been uh, would have been useful or helpful as Tron was one of the, the highest represented decks in day two. I think there was two or three copies in top eight. Or, like, with humans, like, trying to stress test a human deck to see what the best build is and so forth. Like, Javier Dominguez also had a gut shot in his deck. Like, if we decided that humans wasn't good deck, like, maybe I should have put a gut shot in my main sort of thing, right? Like, these things we sort of fell short on
1: just because we weren't putting in the effort to find out uh, what the line was or what the best deck list to be was, I think. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of, to fire shots if it's, it's, if it's my buddy
0: Shaheen. Was he, was he too strong on his uh, blue-white stuff, Derek? <laughs> I think uh, so, Nassif... Between Nasif and
2: Shaheen, um, if you gave them any reason to even talk about Blue White, they, they were all over it. So when when um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, one of the, the one of the Michigan guys won with Esper. It was sort of like it sparked the fire in them to be like, maybe Blue White's good. And then you have them playing it on Moto Zach Allen, um, who he's the one that won with Esper. You have them just playing on Moto with, with blue white, and Nasif is like doing well with it on stream and, and like coming to these conclusions. Um, and you have Edgar on the other side of the spectrum just being like, This isn't a blue white format, like, you this blue white is not a powerful deck enough for modern. Um, but between like Nasif and uh Shaheen, they were just like deep down the rabbit hole playing blue white, and
1: credit to them, like. I think Shaheen ended up doing okay, but I think uh, Pete and uh, Pete definitely
2: said he wouldn't play Blue White again. I think for the next one, that he's qualified for. So I I don't know how they conned themselves into playing Blue White, but
1: whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had a good start. Even got either a deck tech or an interview. I don't remember after on uh, near to tell and or in the middle of day one, as he, ha- he had gone off to a good start, uh, Shaheen, that is, and um, I, was, I was happy for him, Expected him to play blue-white, of course. Um, so I'm looking at uh, the graph that uh, John was was kind enough to uh, make for us. Uh, Cheerios, number one, win, win percentage. Uh, number two, at nauseum. Of course, like two people. We're on cheerios so, so that doesn't really mean much uh it just means a lot more when a lot of people were on it so like humans doing overperform, doing really well with uh quite a few people piloting it uh like you mentioned derek like uh who, who knew humans might have been a, a big player and uh we had is a phoenix up top so looking at this stuff
3: elliot what, what does this tell you about uh, what happened in terms of modern uh in terms of modern i think it was Pretty much what we called on the show in the leaks in the weeks leading up. And um I don't know if anything really came out and, and shocked people, I wouldn't think. I think that the Mulligan rule proved to be like, you know, pretty tame. A lot of people were saying it's the end of days when they announced the the change for the Pro Tour saying that all the degenerate decks are gonna crush and you know, yeah, Cheerios had a high win rate for the couple people that played it and Ad Nauseam was up there again with eight pilots and like a sixty-two percent win rate, which is, you know, very good. But just not not a large representative de- uh, sample size, and I you know it probably speaks more that uh, Cheerios and Ad Nauseum were decks that people leapt to when the rule change was announced, and the fact that you only know, ended up with ten piles between the two decks is probably pretty telling of people's testing leading up towards the event that these degenerate decks trying to abuse the Mulligan rule really aren't what we're going to be seeing in Modern if the rule. Does come into effect, and I, I think it will. I think the rule is like totally fine. Uh, I think you know maybe there's a cost to be paid in vintage, but who really cares? Uh, and for the other less powerful formats, you know maybe Legacy has some issues with it. Again, I, I personally don't really care. <laughs> but modern and down, it seems great. Um, and in terms of the results, again, the decks that try to abuse Mulligan and Cheerios ad nauseum, the Chalice of the Void Eldrazi decks, they just like, didn't perform. They didn't have uh, the same success that decks that tried to just improve the quality of a 5 or 6 card hand did. You know, you look at the deck that won Humans and some of the other decks in the top 8, like Tron, is when you get down to a 5 card hand, there's a really big difference between you know, if you can just change one card. A Human's hand with 2 spells and 3 lands on 5 is, uh, like, is, is very bad. No one, no kidding it. But you know, if it's three spells and two lands, all of a sudden you you know you have a game plan. You're cooking. So I think that those are the decks that really gained the most from this, and it kind of went under the radar, at least in the public eye, until now. And uh, I think, I mean, I believe the results show it. It won the Pro Tour.
1: Uh, on the subject of, of uh,
0: the the Mulligan, it, it was interesting to see different people have different. Um, Opinions, different pros, notable bros. Uh, it seemed like Ari Lax wasn't impressed with the rule, but then we had Ben Stark, uh, who had this tweet. Um, in a shocking twist, after playing with the London Mulligan for two days in the MC, and only confirmed what I had, or- what I already felt the past month. This rule is amazing. This rule needs to be permanent and put on arena immediately. I don't want to play one more game without it. Uh, and I talked to my my good buddy Alex Hain, who ended up top fouring. The MC and he felt that in limited he won a lot more on multi five and saw other players winning more on multi five, so a lot more games were played. And Andy, I know I know you are sometimes really passionate about certain rule changes, and this is one of them. It feels like you're really for it and see no downside.
4: <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I thought it sounded pretty good at first, but was like a little skeptical of uh, the more powerful formats, just as everyone else. But then. I loaded up magic online. I started playing standard with it. And I was like, this is I've mulliganed to five and I don't feel that far behind. Or like I've mulliganed to six and it didn't really matter that much at all. Like I just got to put back the like least functional card in my hand. And so I think the rule is incredible for limited and for constructed or for standard. And I think it's fine and modern. Like it doesn't break anything. It doesn't make anything too terrible. And uh, for the rest, I I don't know what it's going to do. And much like Elliot, I don't exactly care that much, especially vintage. It's casual. Maybe they could have a separate rule. They already have restricted cards and weird rules. So maybe it's like more okay to have a weird rule for that format. But uh, I think overall, it's awesome. It's a very good change to me. I think more games of magic get to be played. And if like the major downfall is that more people choose to play Tron, that's okay.
0: Derek, if someone was playing in the tournament. Uh, what was your opinion about the mulligan rule?
2: Um, I think the mulligan rule was really good. Um uh, played it on moto for a bit. I think it makes um, makes the game a little less random and it it obviously makes uh your decisions matter a lot more. So when you do mulligan, it's it's a lot more up to your decision to make the right choice compared to how your cards lay out and how, like what you're scrying to the top. So maybe like I, it came up and this also with the, the deck list thing, I think it was pretty unique playing Phoenix. Like there's a couple times I mulliganed. I kept, I mulled the six and there was like the two cards I could push was bolt or surgical. And like more often than not bolt is better than surgical, but keeping the the surgical, if I'm playing against dredge or if I'm playing against um, some other graveyard deck, like it's, it's really important to know that. Whereas if the top card is uh, like surgical, where the top card is lightning bolt, like it, it changes how your, your game actually plays out. Um, and I think that making that decision uh, adds less randomness and adds more skill to the actual game. Um, and I do know that they let us know that for Barcelona, they will be using the London Mulligan rule again um, to try to get more data. They sent us an email before um, London saying that they would be doing it for both. And then, uh, seeing where it goes from there, and I don 't know if the people at home saw, but during the matches in the actual m c they had these little pieces of paper that um that was you're supposed to write down who went first, who went second, how many times you mulliganed, and who won the match on the player draw, so you'd like write down both players' names, circle this person went first. Uh, one game, one lost game, one or lost game two, one game three, sort of thing, and then how many times you mulligan on each each game. So they, they're they're doing a series of things to
1: collect data and try to figure it out. Um, yeah, I I hope that is good enough. I, I really like the rule. I hope they continue with it. Um,
0: what are you if, if you were qualified? If Barcelona was tomorrow, does does that change uh, does determine change your willingness to just? Bring old, reliable. Is it Phoenix?
2: Uh, I mean, if it was tomorrow, I would just bring Phoenix.
0: Um, There will be an
2: entire, like, Modern Horizons, I think, will be out by then. And, um, like, I I think that this set really affects Modern currently, specifically with the London Mulligan, um, which is, I think, something we we might get to later in the show. So if it was tomorrow, Phoenix. But even for the mocks, like, I don't know what I will be playing in Modern. Because of the cards that have been added to the set, I was going to wait a week or two to figure out to see if they were going to say anything. I, I know the mocks is uh, the Vancouver uh, Mulligan rule, which is the Stry effect. So there's no, hopefully no shenanigans there. But I do know there are some cards in the new format, specifically like Three menace, to Healy, that a lot of people have been talking about. Um, coming up in, for,
1: for a is, is the Phoenix deck. So... Yeah, if it was tomorrow I'd bring Phoenix, Barcelona. I don't know, hard to say. To wrap up uh, your your I mean to to wrap up part of this uh the the modern talk. Um
0: you know, the, this Twitter account was uh, really interesting uh tweeting out I'm quitting magic. You know, hate magic, love the gathering. Um 1-3, I misread the pairing sheet. I was 182. I read 187 and sat in 187 and played two games. <laughs> we played two games. Then a judge came over, told me player in 182 and I were in the wrong seats and would be getting match losses due to the 10-minute t- tardiness rule. And shout to Canister for tweeting out, actually, misplaced Ginger. So uh, in, th- in this edition of What Happened, Derek, what happened?
2: so like you said um it's after the draft it was uh, there's a there's a lunch break for those who don't know and i finished finished eating and walked over to the pairings board misread the pairings um and the one unique thing about this round is round four was the round we didn't get deck lists every other constructed round in the event you get deck lists um and maybe i'll say something about that afterwards because cause it's sort of weird that that happened but so for round four, if you've never played at a PT, um, it just has your table number and your name. And they, they do just the table number and your name and not your opponent's name, so you can't scout their name. It used to be on a giant scrolling screen, but for this event, it was just on a piece of paper on a board like you have at a GP. Um, so uh, I go and sit down, talk to my opponent, normally once again at a GP. Uh, you see your opponent's name and you say, Oh, you're this, or Hi, I'm this, nice to meet you. And it, like sometimes you'll be like, Oh, my opponent's supposed to be named, I don't know, Elliot. And it's like, Oh, well, I must be in the wrong seat then. And you go back and you check. There was no name, so you didn't know. Not only that, but when I was sitting in this spot, Nobody had come to say anything. Like sometimes when you sit in the wrong, I've sat in the wrong spot at a GP before and somebody be like, Hey, I think you're in my spot. Uh, One of us should go recheck the parents. Nobody sat, nobody else checked. So it was Alan Wu who sat in the wrong spot at 182, my spot. And I sat in his spot. We just so happened at the exact same time, sit in the wrong spot at the wrong round with our opponents not knowing our names and not having any deck lists. And he, he actually won his match 2-0, I think. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah he, So I, I heard this story live because it was my coworker that Alan Wu played against and Derek was supposed <laughs> to. So I get a message, and it's like, Elliot, I'm so lucky. I just got paired against Alan Wu, and I got 2 0 so fast. And then we go to sign the match slip, and I'm playing against Derek P- Pity. <laughs> So uh, I'm in. I
2: get paired against uh, this guy that I actually I think uh, follows me on Twitch, and he, he introduced himself. And we were talking, and he beats me in game one, and we're in game two, and I'm sideboarding, and we're in like game, turn three of like turn four of game two. And I can see the judge behind my opponent with this confused look on his face, like looking around. He goes, "What's your name?" I'm like, uh, "Derek Pite." He goes picks up the match slip he's like yeah you're in the wrong spot hands me the match slip says Alan Wu on the match slip and I'm like uh what he's like yeah you were supposed to be at 182 and then like takes a step back and I can see him like the next table over like looking over with this like sort of like
1: glazed look on his face like he couldn't believe what was happening he's like yeah you're both getting a match loss I was just like sorry and, and he explains it again. I'm like, no, 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 I heard you. What? And, he's just, and, he's, and he says it again. Okay. And I, I just like put my hand on my head like, this is the pro tour. And I just got a match loss. At the same time as Alan Wu, who won a pro tour for sitting in the
2: wrong spot. And I'm like, you know, can I appeal? And the head just comes over and
1: says the same thing. And I'm like, this is unreal. You know what, I I don't care anymore. I'll take my match loss. And uh yeah, I was just yeah, I was blown away. Just couldn't believe it. It was <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story though. It's a great story.
2: I told it just to, like I told it to so many people and they're like, dude, that's really unlucky.
1: And I'm like, I know, like obviously. I misread the, the, the pairings and I'm stupid, but like what are the
2: possibilities that happened at the same time, right? Like the one round where you don't know your opponent's name and, and it happens to like somebody else who's played Pro Tours a million times before also. It just it was just like, come on. Like, what are the chances? Like, why
1: me? You know? Uh, yeah, out of all the people, it would be you that I would expect this to happen. Right. So good, so good. Um, top eight. I, I was
0: I was rooting for Hain, someone that uh, I felt like hasn't amongst uh, friends or, or people I talk with peers. I felt like he actually was starting to get underrated. Uh, was getting a reputation of a guy that just relied on his talent and wasn't lazy. Was too lazy to put actual work, but actually behind. Hidden, hidden from people was the fact that he's been putting consistent results. I think I mentioned was the last episode where he's been one of the top players in the world consistently for the last five-plus years. It's just that he hasn't top eight, so hasn't seen the limelight and uh, wasn't given the proper attention. Just was always just this close, missing worlds because of some tiebreaker. So uh, it was really great to ha- see him have a great start, which he hasn't had in a while. And I felt uh, that I was pretty confident that he was going uh, to close or get to the top eight once he had that good start. And he managed to do that. Uh, though it was kind of tense hearing that he was up against Shift. Uh, in his first win. And in he lost with Tron. And then he went up against, uh, I believe it was Harden Scale. I think Elliot said it was Harden Scale and the, uh, the match wasn't that great. It was like 40-60 according to, to Elliot or John. And I was starting to feel nervous, but he ended up getting there. So I was pretty happy. So he made it, and uh, Tian Yuen ended up making it. um, Tian was someone that, man, I have to, I wonder if Andy, Elliot, or Derek remember the controversy. I mean, this was when First Strike still had, I believe, Lombardi and Gottlieb on the show, uh, the controversy of him um, being seen as a villain after he got his opponent to, like, his opponent wanted, called combat phase, wanted to attack with Heartless Kieran. But uh, it was too late because it, goes, it was, like, going straight to the declare attackers. So he had forgotten, I guess, to crew. Um, Elliot, do you, do you remember all the details of that? And, and if the ruling has changed since? I, I completely forget now. What, what, what was the aftermath of that?
3: Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I don't remember the exact details. I think he had the, the one red-black 3-3 that let you pump an artifact creature. And I think he wanted to, like, go to combat crew and pump the creature. And he just skipped right ahead to Declare Attackers and missed his trigger because of that?
2: Yeah, it used to be... um, If you said combat, it was assumed that you were skipping through pre-combat, which is like when people like to use Cryptic Command, etc. And that's when that triggers. But if Heart of Kieran's not a creature in that phase, uh, the 3-3 has no legal target. So what his opponent wanted to do was put the trigger on the stack and crew Heart of Kieran, but you can't do it in that order um so not only did he not understand the order, but he misspoke and what he wanted to do. And yeah.
3: Yeah, I also know that there was a language barrier involved. I think his opponent would like spoke Spanish primarily, didn't didn't speak English fluently, so I thought it was an issue. Um but they have changed the rule. It was definitely relevant uh for when we have vehicles and standards as big role players. Um but now if you say go to combat, you're in declare you're you're in Beginning of combat, not declare attackers. So you still have the chance to crew your vehicle and you don't, you don't get got by that as much. And I think it's a positive change, but it happened years ago. So
0: <laughs> I remember like the, the public was, and I had just released, I had uh, published Tien, uh, Tien article because he, he was known to play Skipture for a long, long time and having success with it. One of the, um, it, 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 he's one of those guys. Like when you're known for a certain deck, he was one of them. And he wrote me a deck guide. He was crushing, I believe, a bunch of tournaments, whether it be SCG or the GP. Then this happened, and a lot of, he, he got a lot of uh, bad public attention made to be seen a villain. And now he wrote an article, and he addresses, um, he talks about his tournament, but addresses this. And it, it's kind of cool to, to get his take on it. And he said that like, he, he hasn't given people his side of the story. And this was uh, PT, yeah, PT Dublin. And I, I encourage everyone to check it out. I mean, it caused him to have to step away from the game. And I couldn't blame him for that. And then he's uh, made it back, uh, sought out professional help, has a therapist now. And I think it just sounds like from reading uh,
1: the article, and Andy read it too, that that he's in a good place right now. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for him. Um. Yeah, Andy, you got to check out the article, right? Andy just disappeared from
0: the room somehow. Uh, completely thrilled for for Tien. And of course he played Scapeshift and, and ended up top eighting, losing in top eight. Andy, Andy. I was asking you. You you, you read the ar-
4: sorry, <laughs>
0: You read the article too, right?
4: Yeah, I did read the article. And, and, and it's an awesome article, really well written. And I think he really uh it's really honest about uh the events that transpired and i can speak from experience as someone who's uh i've I've angle shot before in the past and uh it uh i've completely changed from that and i think uh sometimes you kind of need to 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 see why what you're doing isn't okay even if it's within the rules and uh sometimes it comes from there you just kind of change your attitude towards everything and i've feel like that that happened with myself so i can really feel his story
1: right and i'm just gonna read it, like a, a touch about
0: it i was playing to be undefeated at a pro tour no one comes easy people were telling me how i was despicable and how they would never do what i did at a friday night magic of course i wouldn't do that at friday magic but i was playing for player statuses and invitations and, and i invite anyone go check out his piece it's actually an awesome read um and, of course, the, the big news was after the top eight, after my man Alex Hayne drew with Yuya Watanabe, one of Andy's favorite players um, ever. Uh, we found out some unfortunate news. And, and Andy, what, what happened?
4: Uh, well, in, uh, so he was notified. But if for round 14, Yuya Watanabe was disqualified for a deck check on his sleeves that showed his cards were to be marked in a way that was in like basically there was little room for doubt that it was uh, intentional and uh he got disqualified and he later posted the pictures of the sleeves on twitter which i uh i'm surprised he did it because they are damning they are it looks like he put his nail and pressed on it and pressed on all the corners and then pressed a different corner for different sean and it's uh a horrible thing to see. Uh, one of my favorite players, someone you look up to, because they're fantastic, incredible results. Just uh, almost like there's so little room for it to be anything but cheating. It's to say that it's not cheating. You have to like grab at some really loose, uh, like loose uh, straws there, because it's just it. He cheated. He almost certainly had cheated to the point where it's. Almost impossible to say that he didn't cheat based on the evidence. And it sucks because he's one of my favorite players ever. Really looked up to him. I loved how humble he seemed. His Hall of Fame speech was super emotional for me. I loved it. And it made me feel a lot of things because of how much I love magic. And he talked about that. And it sucks just to see one of your heroes just not be uh, so good of a guy.
1: But Elliot, like if. They're marked... How do, how do you suppose one uses that information to cheat?
3: Uh, so, I think especially in a deck like Tron, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of like really simple ways to explain it, which is just like, if you can look at the top card of your deck and know that it's an Urza's Mine, if your hand has a power plant and a Sylvan Scrying and an egg to crack, you know that you want to crack the egg right away to cast your Sylvan Scrying to draw the, the different Tron land. But you know, if you're in a situation where you know, maybe you have a mine already, you see there's a mine on top and you have the option to cast the Sylvan Scrying first, then you don't want the duplicate Tron land. It, so if you if you have the information of what Tron land you're gonna draw, then I think it, it gives you a big advantage. And you know, I don't think anyone is saying that, you know, with you use bent corner sleeves, he's necessarily stacking his deck and you know manipulating it to make sure he's drawing the right one, but it's just the little advantage of knowing what Tron land you're gonna draw when you're going to draw it, help plan out your turns ahead, and just gain that advantage. It's the same thing where, you know, maybe he's deciding between Ancient Stirrings and Sylvan Scrying. If he knows that he's going to hit a Tron line off Ancient Stirrings, then he should do that first, because then he gets to guarantee the third piece off the Sylvan Scrying. So, it's definitely not a good look.
1: (laughs) Uh, Derek, what was the reaction there, in, in real time? It was, um... It was
2: weird because i didn't i didn't i wasn't i didn't notice until i think it was john or uh, andy posted in our own group chat while i was standing in front of the the stage if you will and they were they were trying to announce um the top eight and it, it's very weird if you've ever been in uh at a pro tour and you're watching them announce it they have everything organized they move all the the feature match tables they move all the chairs they have people line up in front they they tell them to to come around back into the sort of uh, the shielded area and and Marshall's about to do the top eight and then Cheon runs over and sort of like tells him and gives him a piece of paper and says that he's been disqualified and that somebody's going to be squeaking into eighth um, and, and it changes everything and Marshall's like oh well it was clean cut thirty seconds ago what am I supposed to be doing. Like, do you want me to hype this up? And, like, they're not talking about how how they want to do it and how he wants to talk about it. Because, like, obviously, it's a a controversial topic specifically for it to happen in, like, a matter of minutes or seconds. And um, it was weird. Like, on the floor, you could see that people were talking about it and sort of, like, thinking about it. But, like,
1: most people – I remember Marcus, who was on the show before – like, called me over. He's like, hey, like, read this. And I'm
2: like, yeah, yeah. I know somebody sent me a message. He's like, that's insane. And he's standing with some of the other uh, Vancouver guys, and they're just like, just like, I can't believe it either. Like, it, you're just blown away. It's, uh, you saw, like, I saw Yuya on the floor earlier. I saw him playing his matches. I saw him in the event, and he played against, uh, I think it was Mark Jacobson, round 13 or something. And Mark posted on Twitter, like,
1: uh, I lost to him and he he got platinum but he lost his winning to Yuya and it's just you're like you're thinking
2: what if he didn't cheat or what if I got him that or all these different things right so you just have all this emotions and people like reading this and in real time and then you see the announcers talking about it and like uh, Sperling walks out on stage and eighth with like this look on his face and you felt that you know it was it was wild i think I, had, I hope i have it on video my gopro was almost dead when that was happening so
1: i'll have to check the the video but yeah it's, it was wild it was insane I, I was kind of surprised how how fast um
0: some of the savage tweets were like nasif almost right away Top five all time looking a bit roomier. I was like, oh, oh, holy shit.
2: That uh, supposedly that, that tweet, he was going to say something else. And then Edgar, <laughs> Edgar said that one. And Deceif was like, oh, that's a good one. And uh, yeah, that, that one was good, though. We, I was in the Uber back and I'm like, no way Deceif <laughs> tweeted that. And we got back to the Airbnb. It was, it was yeah, it was a good
3: one. <laughs>
0: I think a lot of us were like, ah, "It's probably gonna get deleted too,"
3: but no, no, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, I, I screenshotted years. it for sure. I thought it was still going to get deleted in a few minutes.
1: Um,
0: it, it's interesting. There's there's a lot of um, debate over like wh- the the whole people are comparing the UN Owen situation stuff like that. Um, it is sad that the uh, overall sad that uh, two MPL members gone. Dropping like flies, and uh, but it opened the door. Somewhat awesome, and, and Autumn Burchette takes uh, took Owen spot, right? If, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. And then
1: uh, don't know what's going to happen to to you, this spot and stuff. Uh, if anything, um, man.
3: And I mean, additional- at this rate, at this rate, Derek's going to get in the MPL. So. <laughs>
4: Uh, something that I thought was interesting about it was that like the openness that like rich Hagon when he was explaining it during the broadcast, he just explained what you, you, did explained like exactly what was with the cards and basically explained that it was almost certainly cheating. The judges determined that it was like almost impossible for it to be an error or for it to be where on the cards. And I thought that that openness and that like right away, just like, Really hate at home that uh-oh, uh oh he is probably a cheater, and like that this is a, this is like could be a, a moment of weakness, but it's like it gets even sketchier that he changed his uh sleeves in round twelve or whatever, so like once the like the biggest money games are on the line, right these are like the winning ins the the big the penultimate rounds, and this is when he changes his sleeves and marks his cards like that makes it look so premeditated. That it's hard to say that he's, he has not done something similar before, like or at least taken like uh, like taken opportunities when he could see it like opportunistic cheating, like this one was like premeditated. He did it before his games and did it on purpose.
3: Yeah, and to tack onto what Annie's saying about you know maybe he's done it in the past and it calls into question his previous results. Uh, the thing that stands out for me is if someone. You know, we talked to Tian Nguyen in, in, I think it was Puerto Tour that happened, where there's a public thing where, you know, he angle shot, and it worked for him. You know, it was a successful angle shoot. You know, he got the ruling that he wanted, but instantly everyone labeled him as an angle shooter and knew that he was sketchy. When you mark your cards like Yuya was doing, or Yu did, it's very possible he's been doing this for years. And if you don't get caught uh, with marked cards, there's no way anyone will ever know. You, know, you could be a successful angle shooter, a successful. You know, or you could have a, a history of doing like sketchy shuffle stuff. And you know, if someone sees it once and calls a judge and they say, "Oh, you know, I'll I'll shuffle better or something," then you know, you get a reputation. A reputation builds up. But mark cards. If you don't get caught, there's nothing. So I, you know, I'm really, you know, really worried that you know it's just a, a huge black mark on his entire career. Really, it's the same thing when um, when Saito got got banned and was removed from the Hall of Fame, or not inducted to Hall of Fame, rather. It's just, you know, sure, it's one isolated event that we know of, but it really does call into question everything that happened in the past. And, you know, it's, it's really not looking good for him. I wish, I wish it was better because, you know, I, I was also a big fan of Yu before this, and it's, it's hard to continue to say that.
0: Gotta keep some of the jokes rolling i hope none of us ever become andy's favorite player because that just means we're we're on that on that list to be either banned or uh or be, be found out a cheater You're here first. Make Andy hate your <laughs> just enough just never, enough never be his favorite
3: deck or favorite player i don't know if there's an official list anywhere but i mean look out <laughs> kale thompson i guess Oh, oh, yeah, he's oh, mentioned.
2: Kale, Kale was sitting next to me when I got my match loss. He's next.
3: Oh, he was close. That's like he, the, he you was, know, he was, was one left. step over from the piano falling on him. Yeah. <laughs> that that could have been him. He, he
2: saw me He saw me get cut up by the judges. Like, I was sitting there, and, I, I like, before the judges came over, I, like, looked at him, and he, would, like, sort of gave me, like, the magic player, like, recognized you, don't really talk that much, look, you know what I'm talking about if you've been doing GP sort of thing. And then he was next to me trying to watch me, like, not lose my cool while I just got destroyed by the judges. So he he might be next. Like, he, he should be happy that I'm the most unlucky
1: person in the world and everything just gravitates towards me.
0: Uh, the thing on Twitter about about Owen is that a lot of people – I. It might just be a vocal minority, but a lot of uh, tweet, tweeters, I guess, want Watsi to issue an official statement or, or explain everything. And I think when we talked about, well, I asked you guys because I'm I'm never sure about these issues about whether we deserve an explanation or not, and, and I feel like the consensus amongst us is that we don't. Right,
3: Elliot. I mean, I think in a perfect world it would be nice to have an explanation, but I think that. You know, at the end of the day, it's a really private matter. I don't think that the people who he harassed, uh, you know, allegedly, really want this drummed up anymore. You know, I I believe that what they're saying is true. And I think that, you know, we can wash our hands and be done with Owen Turdenwald. You know, I don't want to say let's cut the segment short and not hear from the other guys. But, you know, I'm kind of over it.
4: (laughs) No, Um, I'm with Elliot here. Yeah. Yeah, I love the people uh, who are like, they're like, oh, I see that Owen's removed and Autumn's in. Why don't they just give us a statement? They've already figured it out. I don't know what they need this statement for. Like, you know what happened. Why do you need a statement? Like, what is it going to validate to them? I just don't get it. They come up with a reason that I'm
0: not sure they even believe in. They're like, oh, man, it's going to protect everyone else. I don't know. It's always some, some reason. People, people just want to hear his name drive through the mud but like i
2: think we already know that nothing else is gonna like he's not going to accomplish anything else like this was his life um and this is awful like imagine being a platinum pro your player of the year and now you just can't it's it's sudden too and what are you what are you going to do yeah.
1: well what would i do in that position i, I don't know <laughs> hope i have some investments, like. You probably just don't need a statement,
3: right? Yeah, the unfortunate reality of being a professional Magic player is that you're sort of obligated to have all your eggs in one the basket. There's not really a safety net for professional Magic players. And, you know, he, I don't think Watsy's going to make a, a statement just on the fact that there's maybe legal repercussions for them. Maybe they they can't say anything definitive about the allegations against him. So, I, I, I at this point, I really don't expect one. I don't think we'll get one. And I... I think we can move on from Owen Turnwald.
4: I think everyone just secretly just like wants to know more, but it's not their business. And they don't want to say that's the reason, but they just want to know more, right? They want to know more of what's going on, but you're not going to get it and you don't deserve it, whether you think you do or not. I, I agree with that take.
1: I did see a really funny tweet um, about this. And it was uh, it was like, you know, that
2: scene in enter the battlefield when I think the the I can't remember his name is like asking Owen what would he do without magic in his life and he just sort of had like this, this like deadpan look on his face and like looking really confused looking around and I was like that's just Owen now. Like
1: it's it's like you know yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> his Twitter account all clean all deleted right now at this point
1: um let's just move on uh to war of the spark top five um let's review who won the
0: first top five i forget was it elliot was it, uh, oh, you bet it was me i would never champ. forget that defending champ uh has one title under his belt and now we're gonna crown the second champion and it was a runaway winner and we even put uh, Tarek in there, just in the mix, because he was on the show. But uh, Andy, 59%. Tarek, 28%. Elliot, 11%. And Derek, what a meager 2%. For the top five. It's uh, his own
1: uh, vote. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> how, did, how did these numbers get
0: crunched? Uh, it's a poll. Fifty fifty votes. What? shout out to everyone who voted. And Andy's top five picks contains Priest of Forgotten Gods, Wilderness, Reclamation, Grove Spiral, Grove Chamber Guardian,
4: and Judith, Discouraged Diva. I mean, Andy, what were the misses in, uh, in your top five? Uh, Priest of Forgotten Gods and Judith were, were big old zeros. But uh, I got three playable cards, and you guys did it. <laughs>
0: I think Judith feels like Tajik from your other list. It's like, well, how could this not be played? Type
4: yeah, of feeling. Can you imagine just like you're showing like a new player this card, or like someone a year from now with no <laughs> context, but like you see this thing, garbage. <laughs>
0: it was, <laughs> was garbage. <laughs> it was <completely> garbage. <laughs> um, Derek also had Judith, and uh, okay, so let, let's go straight to the top five. Let's start with the newly crowned champion what do you got for us top five war of the spark constructed cards
4: the champ is here um i actually found this to be very hard and so i i messaged elliot after i had hedged it out and was like i was like man did you find this really hard he's like nope i was like "Uh uh-oh and then i asked derek when i got into the hangout. i was like hey did you find this hard he's like nope but uh-oh all right so uh i'll start with one that uh is near and dear to my heart. It's one of my favorite cards in the set. Is a Blast Zone. So for people who don't know what it does, it is a, it uh, enters the battlefield with a charge counter on it. XX tap, put X charge counters on Blast Zone. Three tap, sacrifice, Blast Zone. Destroy each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on Blast Zone. So this card is just very good in the the new simic nexus decks or anything with wilderness reclamation because getting to power out that kind of ability on a land is just extremely powerful and being able to answer any kind of permanent is just a big slam dunk for that deck and it also could see uh, other play in other formats it's a powerful card like engineer explosives is i don't know a hundred dollars or at least it used to be and this thing is is obviously quite worse but it is a land so the low cost is there and it doesn't come into play tapped which i couldn't believe so like that's pr- a lot of good things going for it uh let's go with the next card uh, gideon blackblade so gideon is as long as it's your turn gideon blackblade it's a 4/4 human soldier creature with indestructible that's still a planeswalker and it has abilities that's not it up to one target creature you control gains your choice of Vigilance, Lifelink, or Indestructible until end of turn. And it's minus six is exile target non-land permanent, and it starts at four. So it's a three mana four four, which is already very powerful, and then it also just keeps ticking up, and it's also it's hard to kill. So if it does, if you can't manage to kill it, eventually it can also start exiling things. So like for an aggro deck, it's just another super powerful three drop. That could go in, like, uh, hyper-aggro mono-white decks or maybe some, like, slower, more uh, mid-range black-white decks, for example. So that's one of my cards. Another one, let's pick uh, Dovin's Veto. So this is one that uh, I'm not sure will be on anyone's list, but it's just uh, blue-white. This spell can't be countered, counter-target non-creature spell. So it's just uncounterable negate. And I think this card is super powerful. Like uh, I see a lot of decks like uh, White Weenie playing it and having uncounterable counterspell is really good sometimes. And it's like when you're playing a control mirror with this kind of card, it really just, you're like, oh, I've got my counter backup for my thing. You cast it and the Dovin's Veto and you go, well, well all right. <laughs> you just have to move on. Like you don't get to do anything else. It cannot be countered. And so it's, it's just super powerful card. I think it could get played in like, Modern, because some blue-white decks already play Negate. This card, if you're playing blue and white and there's no mana issues, is just a lot better than Negate. So I could see it being played there as well. Alright, next I have Liliana, Dread Horde General. A lot of people agree that this card is ridiculously powerful. And then uh, when I started playing with and against it, I noticed, like, how really busted it can be when you're trying to interact. And, like, Killing it is sometimes hard because it goes to seven loyalty. So if you don't have like Braska's Contempts and have to try and kill it with creatures, it's, it's really tough to do. And if you're playing a heavy creature deck, it's a minus four is sometimes super devastating. And even if they have like a couple of crappy creatures around, you do get to draw cards out of it because of Liliana's static ability whenever a creature you control dies, draw a card. <clears throat> so I think this card is just a super powerful Haymaker Planeswalker at the six drop slot. And I think that it'll be uh, played a lot in Standard. It might even like have decks built sort of around it, like maybe some control decks that don't make a lot of creatures, right? don't have a lot of creatures. You can just play this and minus it. That's a super powerful effect. Just eat two of your creatures, and then I have this Planeswalker in play. So I think it's going to be a big win condition uh, in Standard, for sure. And uh, last on my list is uh, Sahili Sublime Artificer. So that's one hybrid red, blue, hybrid red, blue. And its static is whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one color servo artifact creature token. Minus two, target artifact you control becomes a copy of another target artifact or creature you control until end of turn, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. And it starts at five. So in standard, this card is uh, just like a cheaper murmuring mystic, but is like harder to kill. Sometimes doesn't get disdainful stroked, full And they'll often will just get stuck in in the early turns and against aggro decks, you can kind of play it and uh, five loyalty will often survive on turn three. So then you can just start casting spells and then like getting more advantage off of all your spells. And honestly, this could see some play in modern because of just, getting to make tokens along the way is a powerful effect and if you think of it as an enchantment it's pretty good and if you think of if you ever get any advantage out of the minus two it is just the card's crazy good like uh, i kept thinking of like is it drake's which hasn't been that good of a deck in standard in a minute in a minute but uh the minus two here is really good with with, like the drake cards just getting to have one of your servos turn into an enormous drake is, is a huge ability. And I think I could see this card being played in Modern. Artifacts sometimes get busted in Modern, and uh, like a bunch of, having a bunch of spells is really good, and this is kind of a good payoff for all that. So that is the next winning top five.
3: <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Elliot, go, go next. Uh, so I had a couple of cards in common with Andy. I uh, pretty much, you know, I don't want to repeat what he said too much. I had Blast Zone and Saheli on my list, you know, I think they're both like really good tools for the Blast Zone, specifically for the Nexus deck. I think it's really good for beating all the hate. Uh, Sahili, I think, is going to sort of replace um, the 1-5 that makes birds. Uh, just being 1 mana cheaper, I think, is really big. Um, and while the Nexus deck doesn't have anything big to copy, like a Crackling Drake, um, coming down a turn earlier is like really big for that deck, uh, especially because you have so many powerful 4-drops already. Um, Speaking of powerful four drops in the blue green deck, uh, first new card I'm going to talk about is Tamiyo, Collector of Tales. Um, it's definitely a, a narrow card. I, I wouldn't really expect it to see play outside of a Nexus deck, um, but it's two blue green for a five loyalty planeswalker. Its static abilities, spells and abilities your opponent's control can't cause you to discard cards or sacrifice permanents. Uh, its plus one is chooser non land card name, then reveal the top four cards of your library put all cards with the chosen name among them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. And it has a minus three of return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, So really, all three of these modes are really relevant for the blue-green deck. Uh, The plus one just filters cards super fast, digging towards your, you know, realistically, whatever you need. But most of the time, it'll be naming Nexus of Fate uh, when you're you're trying to go infinite. Um, The static ability, you know, you slam this... Potentially on turn three maybe on turn four as you're setting up for the late game you know maybe you're only going to be going off on turn six or something any discard spells which i think are going to be really popular between duress and thought erasure i think a lot of people are going to be trying to play uh you know like liliana nickel Bolas, some of the more exciting mythic cards uh you know shutting those off completely is i think really big game um and then of course the minus three being regrowth it it's just Enables you to beat all the hate cards. You can recur your blink of an eye. You can recur your blast zone. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, it's, this didn't make my list, but I think going forward, the best win condition for the blue green deck is commence the end game, which is a six mana draw to a mass X, where X is the number of cards in your hand at instant speed. So the fact that you can, you know, maybe discard that early when, you know, it's a little clunkier, but always get it back in the late game potentially cast it multiple times i think the the minus three is really amazing you know you can effectively go infinite uh cast either it or blink of an eye as many times as you want when you've gotten to the point of the rest of your deck is just nexus of faith so i think it really checks all the boxes for the blue green deck and um you know depending on how things shape up uh it's probably a little rough against mono red but uh it could be like a big contender for next standards. definitely what I'm looking for, f- towards for the, uh, the first MCQ that I'm going to be able to play in a couple weeks. Um, my next card's Finale of Promise. This is X Red Red for a sorcery. lets you cast up to one target instant and or sorcery card from your graveyard uh, without paying their mana costs if they cost X or less. Uh, and then if you, if X is 10 or more, you copy those spells twice, uh, which, you know, not really what anyone's going to be doing with it, but uh, I think this card's going to be Excellent standard as well as modern. I think you know potentially busted in modern. Um, the fact that you can pay three mana in the the blue red phoenix deck cast like thought scour faiths looting is probably your best possibles. But you know even just sleight of hand serum visions, you're casting or sorry I guess sleight of hand thought scour or opt or something, whatever the mix of spells you end up getting. Um, really importantly, you're, you're casting the spells. You're not copying them. That's just copying them, it counts towards Arclight phoenix uh if you have a pyromancer ascension online you know bordering on magical christmas land you get to cast uh two finale of promises for four spells each eight spells total uh of the cantrips left in your graveyard you know for for three or four mana four mana all of a sudden you're casting Manamorphos. i think this cards busted in phoenix there's also some implications you know uh you pay red red x is zero you can cast restore balance for living in from your graveyard so another angle to the electrodominance as for Fold decks, you can play Faithless Looting away or Restore Balance and still cast it. Uh, so I think it has some really potential there, as well as potential in standard because, you know, the modern deck has Manamorphos, which is you know a free spell, uh, and now we're we're giving access to the to a one card bring back Phoenix in standard. You know, I don't know how many of them you can play. There's no you know, effective way to get rid of them, like you have looting in Modern if you end up with a couple of them. But, uh, you know, being able to top deck this or, or work your, way, your, your game plan towards this to bring back Phoenix in one shot, I think is a really big game. Um, and then my last card is Narcissus Reversal, which, you know, I might have been stepping on my own toes, hyping up the blue-green deck. Uh, this is, you know, really potent against Nexus of Fate. It's a uh, blue-blue for an instant. It says counter-target instant or sorcery spell, then return it to its owner's hand. And you may choose new uh, sorry, copy target in sorcery spell and return it to zoner's hand, you may choose new targets for the copy. So it's sort of reminiscent of Reman and you know, pretty big tempo play to be able to bounce their spell. Uh remans always draw a card, but Narcissus Reversal has a bit of a wider range. Maybe you're you're countering a lightning strike, uh, killing their creature. Maybe it's a chemistry's insight, uh, in the sort of control mirror or something like that, and you know, you've you know, you're plus two mana, plus two plus a card kind of thing. Uh so I think this card's really interesting. And of course there's there's the dream play of your opponent casts Nexus of Fate in your end step or on their turn and you Narcissus reversal it, you end up with two turns in a row. And you know, that's like that's probably game ending if you're if you're a proactive deck. And if you're a reactive deck, maybe this isn't the, the card for you necessarily. Uh if you're like Esper Control, maybe you'd rather just hard counter. But you know, a blue-green mirror could definitely be decided by a single Narsets reversal. If you're playing um Maybe Phoenix, you know, maybe you have the hour plus reversal, you've cast your three spells for just three mana, something the Phoenix deck has trouble with, and now you have Narsus reversal up and you know the the blue green deck can't win. Uh so I, I think it's I think it's a little more flexible than I'm maybe giving it credit here for. I think we'll see play um, outside of strictly for the blue green deck. Um but I, I think it's really powerful. So that's that's my five. And you know, I I, I really let I let people down last, last set. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to take back the crown, though. <laughs> all
0: right. Now, Derek, are you going to get more than 2% of votes this time? What's, what's your five? Or is that any different?
2: Uh, I probably won't get more than 2%. I'm pretty sure all the viewers hate me, but that's okay. <laughs> My five are uh, Tommyo, because I think it's really good in the blue-green Nexus deck, specifically against cards like uh, Duress. Um, I think that Tommyo is one of the only cards in that deck that I'm worried about. Um, as somebody who probably won't be playing the Nexus deck, I feel like you're trying to beat the Tameo, uh more than you're trying to beat the rest of the deck. Um, the Tamiyo is the glue that holds the deck together. I have Ugin, because I think Ugin is one of your better top ends. It draws cards and kills any permanent that has a color. So I think that's just very powerful effect and it slots into any deck. I have um, Liliana. So I think Liliana is um, also very powerful. Uh, Also creates card advantage. Might be very similar to Frasca Relic Seeker, but we will see. Uh, I'm unsure on where the power level of that card is... uh, how different it is from Vraska but I think, I think it is better enough that it will see more play um, and then I have 3 mana ferry. I think a lot of people don't really understand how powerful the 3 mana ferry is as a mid range either Esper or blue white card it simply just shuts down the entire Nexus deck from operating the way that Nexus wants to operate um, similar to the way that you have to answer uh Tommyo, before you answer, before you can duress them, you have to beat a Teferi before you can cast your spells at instant speed. I think a lot of people are really sleeping on that effect. Um, and then my fifth and final card is one that hasn't been mentioned yet. It's uh, D Spark. Um, I think that that card is a good answer to every other threat that we've talked about in the format so far, um, whether it be Planeswalkers or Wilderness Reclamation. And the fact that it is white and black means that it can be played in Esper or it can be played in like a white, black mid range deck if that ever shows up um, or even splashed in an Abzan deck. So I, that is my top five. Uh, four of them are Planeswalkers because I think the Planeswalkers are really good. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see who wins this one,
0: I guess. <laughs> I got John who really wanted to be here to give his top five. I got his quick top five, shares a lot with some of you. At five, he's got Ugin the Infallible, Modern, Potential Bridge at six for Tron when Worm Coil is no good in the meta, Bridges towards your seven to eights in post-board games, Legacy, Eldrazi Post-Stompy as a bridge top end. At number four, he's got Narset, part of Veils, Mostly Legacy, Miracle, Stoneblade, Blue mid-range, Control, Vintage as anti-Xerox. At number three, he's got Teferi. Time Raveler, as uh, Derek does Modern. Traditional Blue-White X Control versus Control Mirrors can also spawn Esper decks with upkeep discards. and Legacy, Miracles, Esper Stoneblade, potentially combo with Splash disc. And number two, he's got Neoform. Potentially extremely abusable. Already spawning turn 1, 2 kills. Archetypes like Green Shulbrand. Two mana for this effect is worth the build around. And then number one, Karn, the Great Creator, True multi-format all-star. Modern for Tron as a slightly differently built build with the sideboard bullet package. prison, Legacy, and Steel Stompy, Painter, Eldrazi Post, Potential in Vintage. That, my man, is the Underground King's top five. and This will be his first entry in the top, top five competition. I wish him luck with Andy, Defending Champion. And with that, we are heading closer and closer to the first, one of the first MCQs, especially the first one that we are hosting here at Face-to-Face Games Montreal, May 11th at the Sheraton. Definitely register. I'm not sure what, are, what how many seats are left, but if there's still room, definitely register as soon as possible. I think Andy and Derek, if I'm not mistaken, you guys were battling today in, in the standard, on the standard battlefield, and why am I wrong, Andy?
4: Oh, I've been playing like a ton of standard on uh, Magic Online and Arena. And uh, we, me and Derek actually ended up playing and uh, I, I can't really recall who won, but
1: <laughs>
4: all, all I know is that I took a lot of turns and Derek, Derek complained that I got lucky. You had three
2: Wilderness Reclamations in game three.
4: You had five them- in, the, in that game.
3: Yeah, <laughs> You, you didn't have- put them in his deck not to draw them. Oh you had God. it coming. Oh
4: my god! Well, oh my, you you drew lanowar off. Get out of town. I sideboard those out. I'm pretty sure. Well, you played one on turn one, buddy. Well, then, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't me. remember, but everything's luck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you don't
3: what? even you've even showed up to the right table this time, Derek, and things <laughs> didn't go your way. <laughs> um, Andy, what's the
0: the starting point, you think, for people uh, right now? Week zero, people prepping
4: for uh, May 11. Well, I'm back back on my garbage again, and I'm just playing a lot of Simic Nexus. I think uh, Tameo is so good in the deck, it's crazy. And uh, Blast Zone is also a huge addition to the deck. And now the deck is in a position with Commence the Endgame that it doesn't need any other win conditions except for one Commence the Endgame. Hmm. That
0: sounds pretty convincing. what about you Derek what What's week zero like?
1: uh I'm just playing greenback on oh, as expected. yeah both I, I, back
2: on our garbage yeah, <laughs> i think uh I think as long as people are doing dirtly things, <laughs> greenback's fine. You just have to like like it still beats mono it still beats control a good amount of the time, and as soon as I figure out how to beat. Nexus. I'm sure it won't be an issue anymore.
0: Tell me it was annoying, though. Tell me it was very annoying. I love, I love your thinking, though. That like the cards are here, like the pieces of the puzzle. You just got to figure out the green and black answer. Everything's just a
2: everything's just a jigsaw puzzle, and you just have to find the best mid range deck to
0: beat the jigsaw puzzle. Elliot, what's your week zero thought?
3: I, I assume you're going to play May 11th? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm already signed up. As people should. Spots are closing, in, closing up, I'm sure. Um, the only ma- matches of Magic I've played with in the standard format have been with Blue-Green. I uh, you know, kind of agree with Andy. We tend to test a lot together. I think the deck's pretty busted for, for at least the week zero deck. Maybe things will change in, in the week and a half we have before the tournament. Um, I also keep getting distracted by people messaging me like Bolas's Citadel decks, and <laughs> I, I, I keep like wanting to do that with a Wild Growth Walker, just casting all my Explore creatures. But I think I have the, I hopefully have the power to resist. Uh, I think there's a lot of like, really sweet things you can be doing in Standard right now. Bolas's Citadel, not the least of them. I think Feather the Redeemed is also kind of cool, kind of cool sweet deck you can be playing, but uh, it's looking like a, a Simic Nexus from me.
0: Alrighty. righty. All right. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us live on the show on YouTube. Um, shout out to all of you in there. Um, if you, if you like the show, smash that, subscribe, subscribe to face to face games, YouTube channel, as we look uh, towards adding more and more content in the coming year, um, hit that like button. And uh, if you want to support us, go to patreon.com slash first strike, or just I'll we'll tweet out that you like an episode, subscribe to us on, on Anchor. Like any of the free stuff actually helps, like,
1: actually helps.
0: It's not something that we just say. If you just subscribe to our podcast on your favorite Android or iOS app, it's a huge help. And with that, uh, we will see you guys next week uh, with some, hopefully, more awesome news. We'll talk about some of the, we'll dive into more about like the new M20 changes, how there might, how you can now host pre-releases on Friday, stuff like that, stuff so we didn't get a chance to cover on this show. And hopefully we got more testing from these guys, especially Andy and Derek, putting in the grind there on Arena. And uh, I, might, I, might, I might drop in. I might, I might play May 11th, so uh, I might be finally getting my feet wet as well. So with that, for the, for the guys, we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone.